Five o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In five, four, three, two, one. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. And now, stepping up to the hot microphone, hot mic, hot mic, from Kinston, North Carolina. Hey, town, stay down. ECU alum, host of the Patrick Johnson Show. I am the great P-Man, merely the great P-Man. I am Patrick Johnson. How'd you like that? Wait a minute. You ready to introduce yourself? I'm ready to introduce myself. All right. I got my own music and everything. All right, go ahead. Introduce yourself. Give me a second. Give me a second. All right. I know you want to let this play out. It's my favorite song. I, I, that's Only why. Yeah. Yeah. Not nauseating at all for the 10,000th time. Here we go. Right, we're set. We're ready. All right. We're ready. Go right ahead. Now stepping up to the plate. Some call him a cold-blooded gangster. Oh, God. Some may call him one of the hottest young prospects in radio. Some call him Turtle Man Johnson. Don't ask. What? He's the master of the brain shot. Dropping straight knowledge on your dome piece. Batting number 69. Oh, no. Ben. The notorious B baby. Byron! Here it comes! Here it comes! Listen to that crack. Oh, my goodness. That ovation. I knew that you would take it to the next, to a level where it didn't need to go. Now, if you're wondering, <laughs> by the way, hey, Ben, how are you? Ben Byron. I don't know what you're talking about. Ben Byron over there producing. Hey, Ben. The show. Uh, P-Man back with you. Great to be back with you. Great job by Ben and uh, company holding down the fort last week. Um, as I understand it, and you might wonder what we're doing here, uh, this has gone viral. There was a Savannah Banana player. The Savannah Bananas who have taken the Coastal Plain League or College Wood Met League that they're in to a new level. They lost their minor league team, which was kind of a, a sleepy blah minor league Sally League team. And once they got into the college wooden bat league a few years ago, they've taken it to a whole new level. I think there's new ownership. I think there's like the emphasis put on the aforementioned viral moments. So a guy goes to the plate for the Savannah Bananas this weekend, and he introduces himself. I think this is great. I I love this. Play it, Ben. This is so good. Now, who's the player? Do we? Know? I don't even know who the player is. Play it. Okay. He introduces himself. Ladies and gentlemen, get your hands together. himself when he walks to the plate that throws the mic over to the bat boy i love it i love it that is what that right there is what baseball needs more of i'm here for that this is the same team that brought you viral moments like a uh, batter coming out and uh batting with stilts on no, i think that's dumb <laughs> that's dumb i guess they're trying to be like the harlem globetrotters of, of baseball well, no, they're just trying to capture an audience and set themselves off through social media in these viral moments because you never know what you'll see at the Savannah Banana Ballpark. Savannah, where you have relatives, I think you were telling me. Yep. Uh, the Savannah is the city where I got engaged. I love Savannah. It's one of my favorite cities. Very nice city. But the ballpark, if memory serves, is not necessarily a part of the city that you attribute to. Uh, it's more, it seems like it's it's kind of away from that, what you would call downtown Savannah or Riverwalk. It's not really a part of that. It's kind of offset from that, if memory serves. Yep. So, I mean, it's a little bit probably of a, a poke for the tourists to go there, given where the tourists are probably staying. So you you got to get people engaged somehow. And how do you become a part of the destination of someone's uh, summer trip to Savannah and all that humidity? Well, you 
provide viral moments on Savannah, but that's why we introduced ourselves today. Sand Nats wasn't getting it done. Sand Nats was they were far from getting it done, actually. <laughs> I don't um, think anybody wanted to go see the Sand Nats. Uh, always anonymous uh, text line, uh, WTH, my lord, what was that? We were introducing <laughs> ourselves like the Savannah. Now, what, uh, I don't know if they're specifically referring to what Ben's intro was. I cannot speak to that. I, I did not get a preview of that. I heard it for the first hey, time. a lot of jealousy, you know. I mean, that guy would probably never get a standing ovation like that in his life. I heard, um, I heard, how do you know it's a guy? I heard uh, that Ben introduction of himself for the first time, and I'm, I'm as shocked as everyone else is right now, to be honest. But that's what that's what it was. We were introduced. A lot of people were thrilled. We, we, <laughs> I'm sure there were some. I'm sure there were some. Uh, so while we, uh, were away or I, while I was away, so much happening, we're going to try to, uh, uh, update the story, not recap it necessarily, but update the story. The huge story right now is, uh, it has been informed to the big 12 that Oklahoma and Texas are not going to extend their grant of rights. And that after 2025, they are bound for the sec. Well, it's now got to be a 24-hour story from the worldwide leader who has a stake in the SEC and the ACC, for that matter. So who do they turn to but everybody's favorite, smartest guy in the room, Jay Billis, who on some form of ESPN programming had this to say today. It was on SportsCenter. Okay. So this is what he had to say. I think that the, the interesting part for me, Matt, is what's going to happen long term, because if if you're in this business now, you're going to have to start thinking bigger. Uh, Greg Sankey and the SEC are certainly doing that. Uh, if I were commissioner of the ACC, one thing I'd be thinking about is approaching the SEC and saying, look at all the natural rivals we have, rivalries we have mm-hmm. uh, in our conference. Why don't we start thinking about a merger? And uh, because that, that's what the SEC is going to become. It's going to become the NFL, a junior NFL and that's a right. junior NBA. And there's no reason why the ACC shouldn't jump in there and take advantage of those natural rivalries and markets. And if I were if I were Jim Phillips, I'd be ringing Greg Sankey's phone saying, how about a merger? First of all, I think did, that the, did, did Bama Z record that off of the television? That's what it sounded like there. That was straight off his own Twitter, Jay Billis. Oh, was it? Yeah. That sounded like Bama Z recorded it <laughs> off the television like he always used to do. Uh, here's my reasoning why this will not happen. And we talked about this uh, probably around this time last year. The handful of most powerful guys in college athletics are who, Ben? Who are the most powerful people? Let's see if you remember this. Who are the most powerful people in college athletics now? It's not one person. It's multiple people, but there's only a handful of them. Who are they? Uh, I would assume the uh, SEC SEC uh, commissioners, ADs. Well, you're on, yes. Commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey. Yeah. Big 10 commissioner, ACC commissioner. Was the Big 12 commissioner. Don't know now. Mark Emmert. Uh, yeah, Mark Emmert. Well, no, Mark Emmert. No, Pac, <laughs> Pac-12 commissioner. The commissioners are the most powerful people in college athletics. And there's, at the so-called P5 level, five of them. If you're the ACC and you're this guy, Jim Phillips, who probably couldn't pick out of a lineup, why would you want to cede that power to Greg Sankey and the SEC? Because they had two football powers. Frankly, basketball doesn't do a whole lot for them. I think for Billis, somebody fed this to Billis, but because for Billis to say they become a junior NBA with 16 teams they do? And with, with really 16 blah teams most years, I mean, Kentucky, and, and they haven't been anything to write home about. Certainly we're not last year. Yeah, Auburn played in the Final Four, but they're not. that's not consistent excellence. Arkansas. Now, <laughs> they were good last year. But Arkansas was good last year, but again, it's not consistent excellence. Yeah, exactly. They'll have a few-year run, but you won't see them year in and year out like you would UNC in a normal year, yep. like you see Duke in a normal year, like you would even see Kentucky in a normal That's it. You know, Florida is probably the second most consistent team in the in the SEC yep. as far as postseason goes, and I don't think of them as a a blue blood or national power. No. So why would you cede that if you're the ACC? Now, does that mean you don't go out and raid the the Big Twelve, which right now is in shambles? And look, we put in a request to talk with uh, Commissioner Oresco. And, of course, we were denied the opportunity to speak to him. Maybe we might talk to him next week. 
But right now, we're not going to talk to him. But this will obviously be the, the media day for the conference is next week. This will be the big topic next week for media days, next Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, with the uh, AAC media days. Our guy, Rini Angoli, is going to be there for ESPN+. Plus, so uh, we, we might do that. Uh, look, I certainly think that there's a possibility this is good for the American, could be good for ECU. I would really, really like it if there if the lawmakers in Raleigh would get some, because Wimpy's not going to do it, but you get some gumption and you tell the ACC schools in North Carolina, look, you're going to put ECU in if you're going to extend invites to people. You're going to put them in the in the ACC. Sort of what happened with what got Virginia Tech into the ACC years ago. It wasn't that Virginia Tech was coveted. It's that the governor of Virginia at the time, Said to Virginia, "We're gonna we're gonna cut funding. We're gonna hold back. You gotta you gotta get Virginia Tech in this deal." And Virginia had enough juice at the time to get that done. So that is uh, the latest there. I, I don't think West Virginia goes personally. ACC's passed on a couple of times. I don't think they bring a whole lot to the table. There's no desirable media market. You could argue Pittsburgh, but you've already got Pittsburgh. Uh, and I, I really think Cincinnati's a possibility. UCF, I don't think brings anything. Notre Dame right now doesn't look like they're going anywhere. They were at the table where the ACC was not for this expanded playoff proposal. Who was at the table leading the charge? Greg Sankey. Because Greg Sankey knew that Texas and Oklahoma were coming to the SEC and that that would give them multiple. This is what we talked about. And and rather naively, and, and people we talked to about it, well, I don't think you're going to see four or five teams from one con- the SEC is planning on as, as many as four teams being in this playoff year in and year out when they expand it. You don't make this move with Oklahoma especially and take the top two, or the top program and the, the biggest tradition-rich program from the Big 12 and pull them into your league without the expectation that they're going to be playoff contenders year in and year out in the expanded format. Uh, the NCHSAA... Uh, we'll get the latest on that today. In fact, Commissioner Q Tucker is going to join us in a few minutes. She's going to call in, so we're going to grab a break here and then talk with her. But this is um, an issue that we've talked about since it sort of first broke. The legislature is starting to look at some of the finances of the High School Athletic Association. Last Tuesday, they went as far as to add some verbiage into a bill that started out as an autism bill that would essentially dissolve the NCHSAA. Now, a guy who's very, very smart. We've talked to a lot over the years, Chris Hughes. Now, Chris has moved to Florida now, but Chris was back in North Carolina last week at the coaches' clinic, and he also still has a lot of his ties here. And he, at the time, said to me, I think this is the NC, uh, the North Carolina legislature, trying to force oversight. This is the they're, – they're, they're negotiating with what they want the most, at least on paper, which would be to totally dissolve the High School Athletic Association – well, the NCHSAA does not want that. So, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> right. So they're going to, might be willing to negotiate. There was an invite extended on Friday for members of the board of the High School Athletic Association to meet with legislatures, uh, lawmakers on this. And so I know there was a meeting last night for the board of the High School Athletic Association. We'll ask Commissioner Tucker. I, I've frankly been in meetings all day here, all afternoon, so I haven't seen what has happened as far as. Has that been extended? But the the smart money seems to be from a couple different sources over the weekend and today that uh, this is going to be a a group that uh, maybe will have some some oversight. All right, I think the commissioner's calling in. Let's grab a break. We'll have Q Tucker on the other side of this timeout to talk about uh, a matter that has gotten uh, a lot of dander up of a lot of folks, and uh, we'll talk with the commissioner about it coming up after this on the uh, Monday edition of your Patrick Johnson Show. Pirates, Panthers, the P-Man. Oh, my. More of the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game right now. Well, there is uh, quite a lot happening in Raleigh, as there always is, and uh, Raleigh and Chapel Hill meeting in the form of the North Carolina legislature and uh, continuing to cross 
with uh, the High School Athletic Association in Chapel Hill. Uh, our friend, Commissioner Q. Tucker, joins us uh, here on the program. Commissioner, we'd have gotten you last week, but I was out. So uh, I appreciate you joining us here on Monday, and we're going to kind of just update this story that uh, is about a week old, but uh, we appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. I hope you had a uh, uh, you were somewhere uh, getting some R and R last week, which I wish I could have been doing. <laughs> but as you said, uh, you know, a lot happened last week, and a lot's still happening. So it's still new news. So yeah, all is good. So Nick Stevens with High School OT has reported in the last uh, little while here that uh, DPI. State Board of Education has somehow gotten involved in this, and I guess uh, they may be meeting or discussions or, or as he reports it underway. But then he reports that uh, the High School Athletic Association says it's not aware of any upcoming meetings with the State Board of Education or Department of Public Instruction. With that said, I've been told, uh, Commissioner, that I guess you all were invited by lawmakers behind this HB 91 uh, to have board members meet with them. And as I understand it, the association's board has met on this over the weekend. Is there an update as far as uh, lawmakers and members of your board getting together in a room to maybe uh, work on some of these differences? Well, uh, let me say this. what We, we did receive an invitation on Friday um, from uh, Senators McGinnis, Johnson, and Sawyer to meet Um and of course, at the time I received the information or the invitation, I had we had already uh, the officers of our board of directors had um, suggested we meet on Sunday night to try to update as to where we were coming out of the the initial um, information about the bill being out there, et cetera. So we had a schedule a call meeting of our board of directors set for Sunday night at um, 730 and we did meet last night and then of course uh, I responded to the invitation by saying I would share the invitation with our board of directors on Sunday night and then coming out of that we would try to make uh, you know we would try to to move forward with um, you know plans to try to meet them and of course at that time there really was no indication in their invitation to me that we would be meeting with anybody other than them. And when I, uh, you know, went back to them to say, okay, what what day and what date do you have in mm-hmm. mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, after I indicated that we would be meeting as a board on Sunday night, they they indicated that uh, please let your board know that uh, they are all welcome to attend. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> which I did, I uh, shared with them that uh, that invitation and that they uh, were extending an invitation to our full board to meet, or at least as many as could. Now you know our board is made up of. Uh, 19 persons other than myself, and then we have five ex-officio members. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many of them, uh, you know, some of them will be able to attend the meeting uh, once we know what time. Uh, We've not been given a time. I think they've left that sort of flexible to us. And so right now I'm not, uh, I cannot say what time the meeting would be. I think it will be sometime Wednesday afternoon. Um, but as to the state board having been invited, uh, that was not a part of my original invitation. Gotcha. I have learned uh, during during today that the state board also received an invitation, and so I was not privy to that on the front end. And um, so, you know, I, I'm guessing now that they have been invited as well, and uh, so it's yet to be determined who all will be going uh, to a meeting from our board and exactly what time that will be, that is yet to be determined. Commissioner Q. Tucker, North Carolina High School Athletic Association, with us last week, uh, the state legislature introducing a bill that would essentially dismantle uh, the High School Athletic Association in North Carolina and establish a new governing body where uh, the board would be appointed by uh, members of uh, the legislature and the governor. Uh, Commissioner Tucker joining us here on the phone. Do you have any hesitation with uh, school board, uh, state school board members being there or DPI, or uh, do you feel like this is a blindsiding thing, or do you not have an issue with them 
uh, being a part of these proceedings, potentially? Patrick, actually, you know, I'm excited that there is the possibility that the state board uh, slash DPI would be involved. I think it is worth repeating, as we have repeated uh, often, and, and, and this should be common knowledge to our membership. The NCHSAA has oper- always operated from an understanding, although now people call it an informal understanding that we worked in concert with our State Board of Education. There are several rules that we have that the State Board set. Mm -hmm. And so back in 1952, when the State Board started writing rules and regulations for interscholastic competition, I think that's really when they got involved and the high school association was already in existence. So it was in the 70s when those two groups, which had already been meeting all throughout the 60s and into the 70s, there was a principal's, uh, a superintendent's committee that met with the state board and with DPI. And we've got minutes that show those people's, their names, Mm -hmm. So we have always believed that this relationship existed, even though it was very informal. But in our minds, it was pretty concrete. And so we've never shied away from meeting with the Department of Public Instruction, nor have we shied away from meeting with the state board whenever they needed to. But that, but we have we have documents that show that the State Board of Education actually said there's no longer, it is no longer necessary for the High School Athletic Association to have a set of rules and for the State Board and DPI to have a set of rules. Let's merge those, have one handbook, and then we moved along and we even see where finally uh, um, it was stated, well, n- the the high school athletic association has this. They will now oversee, and then there are several rules that we will that we say to them that they must have. They must have an age rule. They must have. Uh, they must require a physical examination. Mm-hmm. Uh, there must be an attendance policy of some kind. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we've always had that relationship, and so we're not uh, we're not afraid to meet with them, and we look forward to meeting with them. So I just want to have some assurance, Patrick, that if we go into any kind of a meeting with the senators who are pushing this bill, that this is not going to turn into something that is um, it is not going to be productive. If the state board and the NCHSAA could meet separate from legislators, I think that would be the better route to go Mm -hmm. and let us talk about what we believe to be a good solution and then share that with the legislators. But I'm not real sure that that's where, uh, you know, this is headed right now. Commissioner Q. Tucker, High School Athletic Associations with us. Uh, Last week when this was announced Tuesday, uh, there was a uh, kind of quickly put together media availability uh, that evening. And so you, you spoke, other members of your board uh, spoke to, to media uh, by the hundreds from around the state. And you used the term full-scale attack. I, I kind of seized on what you said there. It's maybe your preference is not to have these particular lawmakers uh, involved uh, in that d- potential State Board of Education, DPI, NCHSAA meeting. You've actually, have, you know, have had a chance to have these things sort of digest now. I know you've read the uh, the proposed bill. I've read through it as well over the weekend uh, again. And do, do you still feel like this is, as you put it, a full-scale attack? Well, Patrick, I don't know how you could say House Bill 91 is anything other than an attack because it it attacks our very existence. That House Bill 91 will totally dismantle the NCHSAA as we know it now. Um, In a year's time, if not sooner, our staff who are here, uh, staff members who are here at 222 Finley Golf Course Road may not be here. 
I may not be here. So, and, and in all likelihood, in a year's time, if I should happen to be to last a year, uh, I think the way that bill reads, I wouldn't be here. So, to say, I, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, move backwards from my statement that it is an attack because it is. It is attacking our existence. And that simply means then that there would no longer be an association that I've that I've spent 30 years, um, you know, trying to do things that would be in the best interest of young people across this state, um, and especially for those who are participating in education-based athletics. So, um, you know, I, 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 I hate that. It is it hurts me that we are at this point and that the bill would be introduced. And, and then, of course, you know, it, it moved through that first committee on Tuesday afternoon right. at 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I feel like it is an attack. Uh, Commissioner Q. Tucker's with us. Uh, and, Commissioner, you, you also have stated many times, including in that aforementioned press conference, that you uh, or the association is willing to partner with the General Assembly. Obviously, the board has decided to meet with uh, lawmakers, and I think appropriately so. I think that could be the best tact for all involved to to possibly take here. With all that said, you have also said repeatedly, and you've been very consistent on this, that there are some things that maybe need a second look or some thoughts to, to revisit the way things are done, which I infer is, you know, perhaps you, you the association is willing to, to maybe take on some of these suggestions from uh, lawmakers or from whomever uh, at the state level. So specifically, when you make that statement, what do you have in mind that you think would be uh, changes that could be discussed for the better? And I know there's a board that you would have to present this to under the current model, but what has maybe kept some of these changes that you feel like are important from, from being implemented? Well, I think the the first thing that that I think is important is for us to find a better way to make sure that the membership, because it's a membership organization, you know, people think that Q Tucker is the association and that I make these rules and regulations, and I'm very quick to say that, you know, I, I'm not the association. The 427 member schools are. That's our tagline. We are the NCHSAA. So one of the things that we must do is to be much more transparent. And when I use that word, I don't mean that we've hidden things. I simply mean that we make it so that it is clearly understood how the finances of the association work. And so that's one thing that we've got to, that we must do. And we have regional meetings every year where we crisscross the state and we share information about the association. And so we've got to figure out a way in those meetings to make sure that everybody understands who we are, what we do, and what the membership's role is in what we do. I think the other thing that we have to do is to make sure that the, that the membership understands the bylaws. So the bylaws and and how bylaws can be amended. The membership sometimes wants things to change, but they believe that the change can come without there being an amendment to the bylaws. So we have to educate and, and, and call attention to the fact that this is how we do what we do. Um, and then one of the things that people have thrown out mm-hmm. has been that the appeal process is not that there is no good appeal process. Now, the appeal process that we've used this year is the same appeal process that we've used for many years, and we tweaked it back when Clayton Summers was our attorney. So we've made changes to it, but there is an appeal process, and so we have to help our membership understand how that works. And currently, the appeal process is open to the member schools. The school staff represent the students. So when there is a request for a waiver of a ruling that has been made, the school makes that. It's not the parents who make those appeals. It's not the students who make those appeals. Mm -hmm. And so that's been the way we've operated. But clearly, there are those who believe that because my name has been listed as a member of the Hardship Committee, that that is a conflict. 
So the board has already approved uh, me not being a part of a hardship committee. Okay. Although, Patrick, I will say this. Mm-hmm. I never vote in any of those. Once I make that ruling, um, the the first ruling on a hardship request, I don't vote anymore. But it obviously for some, and, and I will say this, that we had a school that was upset because the board denied a hardship appeal in the spring, mm-hmm. and they questioned the process in the spring when it was denied. But in the fall, the same school made an appeal, and it was overturned by the hardship committee. Same process, but no complaints about the process. So I think, you know, sometimes people request change when they don't get what they want. And, and you know, I, I guess that's human nature. I'm not sure. real sure. But, no, no, you know, I, I, but I, I hear we're going to make, yeah. we, you know, I think our board recognizes that we do need to, you know, give, we don't want to give the appearance that there is anything inappropriate about the process. And so we already have, have put that in place. I no longer serve on the hardship committee or my name is no longer right. listed. So, uh, Commissioner Q. Tucker on the line with us uh, here, and I, and I appreciate her time uh, greatly here this afternoon uh, because I, I, I think um, the, this is a, a – everybody's got an opinion all of a sudden on this subject matter, and I think it's important to hear from uh, particularly you but everybody that could be involved in this. You know, the big question I kept getting last week, Commissioner, was the endowment and exactly, mm-hmm. you know, why is there so much money in the endowment? Now, there's the argument that – People are complaining about success because, let's face it, that it's, that's a goodly amount built up, and that means the endowment process has been successful. Um, there were monies given back to the school systems across the state last year to help offset losses that uh, athletic departments and schools had suffered during the pandemic year. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted to give you, uh, the, in fact, this was the first thing when we got this schedule I was going to ask you, but other things have developed since then. But I wanted to just kind of give you the the, the floor here, the forum to, you know, clarify the endowment, what can, you know, be spent out of the endowment, what, where certain monies are earmarked, et cetera. Well, so really it, 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 it is important to understand that the endow, endowed dollars, or let's start this way. The endowment was an idea that originated with Charlie Adams, and he had this idea back in, um, uh, 1986, mm-hmm. and we know this because we see it in the minutes. And he he said to the folk, "We want to endow the association so that at at some point in the future, we the membership will no longer have to pay for catastrophic insurance." Okay, mm-hmm. so that was one of his goals. That was a vision. When the endowment was started in 1991, you know, it was first thought, well, it'll just be $3 million, and then, you know, it, it continued to grow, and then the boards of directors at the time recognized that, you know what, we can, if, we, if we're patient and, we, and the money is invested wisely, uh, we'll be able to do some things and be able to realize that goal of paying the catastrophic insurance and it not overburden the association. So to date, uh, what has happened is everyone re- everyone sees that number of $41 million, and they think that that is cash on hand that the association has. Well, that's incorrect. There are three categories of, of dollars that the association, that, that goes into that net assets. One category is restricted funds, and those restricted funds are received from donors, and they have specific stipulations as to how the funds can be spent or how they're distributed. So those are donor-restricted dollars, and that's about, and I'm giving you information now that was based on uh, 2020, end mm-hmm. of the fiscal year for okay. us, and that would have been June 30th for mm-hmm. 2020. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, a little over, well, about $15.5 million in restricted funds, which meant we couldn't spend that. 
the only thing that we could spend would be any interest. And so you you know, obviously again you have to you have money managers and they help you figure out that, but the IRS says you can't do anything with those dollars. So that's a, a, about 15 uh, a little over 15 and a half million dollars. All right, Commissioner, All right? let me let me Another? let me a quick follow up here. Where would that interest what would that, that be spent on? Cuz again, I guess I guess that's the as, as far as having the endowment, to what end uh, is there this endowment? That's another sort of that, thing. That, yeah. Well, yes. So, Patrick, those restricted dollars are dollars that the donors tell us where they want it spent. And many of those dollars are the scholarship dollars that they tell us that they want us to use it for. We have a Charlie Adams endowed scholarship. We have... Um, um, you know, the Willie Bradshaw uh, scholarships. So uh, those dollars are earmarked by those people who give those monies, okay? Right. And then right. people, yeah, so so that's that's what that's for. They tell us how they want, it, want to spend it, all right? Mm-hmm. So you've got that category. Then you have a category that's called board-designated dollars, and those are the dollars... You know, where the one dollar surcharge uh, at the end of a of a of a fiscal year, that's where those monies go. Uh, the extra endowment gain that we used to have, the twenty five percent that would come off of that extra gain, it would go into those board designated, and the and so we consider those opportunities for the board to be able to say, here's a special project we want we would like to be able to um, give money to the schools for. And so that $4 million that we gave back to the membership uh, this year, mm-hmm. it came out of that board-designated category. And so at the end of the fiscal year last year, we had 10 again, a little over $10.5 million in that pot of money. Mm-hmm. And again, the idea would be that it would be, um, and, and you consider those quasi-endowments because you want the, them to not just be spent for operating expenses, but they're board-designated, and the board would designate how those are to be spent. And then the last category is the undesignated dollars, and that's where you put all of the other things that make up that net assets, the property of the association, the uh, contents of our building. It's where we also put the program reserves um, to meet special opportunities or program needs that help further the mission of the association, and it's where our operating budget is, and it's where our operating reserves. And the board, some years ago, said that you will always have one to two years of operating reserves. And so at the end of last fiscal year, that undesignated uh, pot of money was about $13 million uh, almost $14 million. Okay. Now, as so, I understand it, Commissioner, that would almost be about three years worth of reserves? Well, no, you got your, well, you have your operating, right. you have your operating budget in there. Okay. And you have uh, two years, our operating budget on a good year now is right about, is is over $5 million a okay. year. Right. So, and I, I, I don't want to say I hesitate to wade into this uh, waters here because, you know, I, far as i'm concerned uh there are businesses uh some that i've worked for that have took this money but you know i think one criticism i've been hearing is if you have this money in reserve why take a ppp loan again i think we're wading into waters i don't know if i'm 100 percent comfortable well and let me and let me but but again i want to give you every opportunity to to you know clarify a lot of these questions that i've been receiving okay so let's speak to the ppp loan First time I heard about that loan opportunity was on a national federation call where my counterparts all across the country were talking about the fact that uh, many of us were unable to conclude our winter championships Mm -hmm. and many of us were facing not having spring sport championships. So what's going to happen with staff? If we're losing those dollars that would come into our operating budget, 
what how are we going to pay staff will we be able, will we have to lay off staff and i can tell you that the ohio association mm-hmm. oh they did that mm-hmm. and um, you know that's not what we wanted to do our staff is only about 17 people here and so the last thing we wanted to do was to lay off people because we thought we could come back from this the other side of that patrick is this we also felt like because part of us giving monies back to the schools in the summertime, which we've been doing since 2010, mm-hmm. is it hinges, uh, a portion of that hinges on any overage in our operating budget that we would take half of the overage and it would go into the formula that would be used to give monies back to the school. Well, if we're not going to have monies coming in to support our operating budget because we've got to pay salary, we don't have any monies coming in, but we sure would like to be able to give our schools some monies, well, we, here's this PPP right. loan. Gotcha. Uh, we gotcha. don't know if we'll get it. But my colleague said, yeah, we're going to apply for it. We may not get it. Right. Yeah. So we made that decision that if, if, if we can have monies that will be left over at the end of the school year, even though we don't have spring sports, and we could apply for a loan, and if we get it, then we can benefit our 421-member schools last year. And so we applied. We had to, sub- we had to submit every document they asked for. So we didn't have any idea whether or not we would get it. And those dollars were used strictly to help pay for salaries. So we didn't have to lay off anybody. And we came back to work in June. Mm -hmm. So, Patrick, we're being criticized for that. But, you know, really and truly, whoever made the decision that the NCHSAA qualified for the loan, somebody then needs to go fuss at them for, for saying we qualify. Right. So I, I I appreciate your time here today, and again I, I think uh, there's a, you know a lot of things that uh, you know people had questions on, and I, I just wanted to give you the chance to clarify a lot of this uh, in this form. So uh, again, I appreciate it. You have kind of centered around that you think this also might be an attack on you. You said as much in an interview with Nick Stevens. Uh, do you feel like that this has a personal nature to it? I mean, do you were you maybe speaking out of emotion because I've known you a long time. Uh, and, and I consider you and I to be friends for a long time as well. So I, I, I do want to uh, give you maybe a, a chance to revisit that or, or clarify those remarks. Well, let, let me say this. Uh, you know, I, if you've known me a long, a long time, you know that one of the things that I never use is race. And so I want to be very clear right here that this issue is not about race. Okay, that's first and foremost. But when I was asked that question, here was how I answered it, is that I believe that were Charlie Adams still alive Mm -hmm. and sitting in this chair, he would not have been addressed the way I was. He would not have been scrutinized the way I have been for the last two years. And all it takes is just reading the language and reading how I have been addressed in some of the correspondence I have received from some legislators. If Davis Whitfield were still in this chair who succeeded Charlie Adams, I do not believe that he would have been addressed or or scrutinized the way I have been. Now, what does that all mean? Well, I think it's hard to it's hard to deny the fact that I am a female. Right. I am involved in athletic leadership. Mm-hmm. I am an African American female, the first one here. Now, for whatever that's worth, I think you know, I'm not going to shy away from that. I do think that is a factor. Uh I don't think anybody set out to say, well, okay, we're going to go after this black female. But I can't help but believe that I'm being true to who I am, and I will always be that. That's the way my mom and dad reared me. But my mom and dad reared me also to not hide behind race. And so I'm not hiding behind that, and I'm not hiding behind the fact I am a female. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud to be an African-American female. 
but I think it, 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 you know, I can't not at least share that piece of it when you just look at it across the board. So I want to make sure, though, that those who are listening tonight understands clearly what I'm saying. I'm not saying this is a racial issue. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying that were I Charlie Adams or Davis Whitfield, I personally do not believe that I would have been addressed and dealt with the way I have been addressed for the past, I guess it's close to, you know, 22 months. Gotcha. Um, Let me finish with this here. Uh, Do you believe that there is a common ground that can be reached among everybody involved, uh, your association and your board lawmakers, and, and I guess now the State Board of Education? I mean, do you, do you feel like that there there is some common ground that could be reached among the stakeholders, if you will? I hope that there is. Uh, if you had asked me this question uh, on Thursday afternoon of last week, and I think somebody did, uh, I felt that the die had been cast, uh, and that really and truly it seemed to be on a really fast track, and that this thing was going to come out of the rules committee, and that it would, you know, it would be an up or down vote in one house and in, in one chamber and sent to the other one. Right now, because at least we have received an invitation uh, to have some dialogue, then perhaps there is a way that we can reach some common ground. But this much I also want to say: I do not believe that legislation is necessary. I believe that there is a way that we could work together to try to find that common ground, but it does not need to be wrapped around legislation. If, it, if legislation is involved, I believe that it puts it in a different arena that I'm not sure it will be good for the, the NCHSAA. And I just don't think, honestly, that it would be good for the membership to have um, that type of involvement. If a bill is passed that requires us to do certain things and it, and it becomes very, very, very specific, mm-hmm. such as what House Bill 91 wants to do outside of us, then I, I don't think that's in the best interest of education-based and interscholastic athletics in our state. Commissioner, uh, thank you. A lot of time here, uh, and uh, we appreciate you taking a few minutes uh, or a good amount of minutes with us here this afternoon uh, to uh, to uh, speak on all this. Thank you. Well, thank you for allowing me to share. All right. Uh, there she is, Q Tucker, Commissioner of the High School Athletic Association. We pre- appreciate her time. Uh, this is uh, going to be an ongoing issue into this week, too. It'll still be a hot-button issue uh, as well. Uh, we'll break. We'll come back and uh, get ready to uh, finish up things on this uh, Monday on the PJ Show. We'd appreciate it if anyone hearing this broadcast would communicate with us. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on your flagship home of the ECU Pirates. We are very anxious to know how far the broadcast is reaching. 94.3 The Game. And 94.3thegame.com. Greenville's top sports show is back. Well, isn't that special? The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Ben Barton here for 94 through the game sports update. We start from college football as Oklahoma and Texas have announced they will not renew their grant of media rights, which is set to expire in 2025. From the NFL, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers has expressed to those close to him that he will play for the Green Bay Packers this season. After reporting to training camp to avoid a daily $50,000 fine, the Texans have now finally decided they are willing to trade quarterback Deshaun Watson. The Washington football team locks up defensive lineman Jonathan Allen to a four-year $72 million deal. And Colts head coach Frank Wright has tested positive for COVID-19. For Major League Baseball, the Padres continue to try to build a super team as they get all-star outfielder Adam Frazier from the Pirates, only giving up a few prospects. And from the NBA, Memphis is finalizing a trade to send Jonas Valachunas a 2021-17 and 51st overall picks to New Orleans for Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and 2021 10th and 40th overall picks and a protected 2022 first-round pick via the Lakers. According to multiple sources, once final Bledsoe is not expected to stick with Memphis. That's going to do it for your 94th of the game sports update. I'm Ben Barm. Pat. 
Pat. <laughs> Patrick. You got to save that one, Ben. I, I'm going to have a couple of days here where I'm Pat. still going to be squeezing them in here before the start of football Patrick. season. I just show some love. That's funny. Uh, I, You know, I hope that I at least what I wanted to do. And, and look, tomorrow we're going to have uh, Todd Johnson. We've had him on this show before. He's one of the senators that really got the ball rolling on this and got this legislation going. So, I mean, I, I'm going to give him the same opportunity and the same amount of time if he has it tomorrow to, to present that side of uh, things here because, you know, there's certainly some things that I think lawmakers believe run counterintuitive to what the commissioner said, but I want to be fair to the commissioner. I want to give her a chance to clarify some statements. Because, you know, even though I was out that last week, I wasn't vacationing. I mean, I was out working other stuff, but just took some time off from the show to recharge a little bit. So I was paying attention to this, but you know how things are. People will cherry pick little factoids or quotes and take them. And I I just want to give her the chance to clarify things. So, you know, I hope she did that. Uh, It felt like that it was fair. I I mean, I I feel like it was. So I, I, we'll give johnson every chance tomorrow senator johnson to have uh you know basically and, and a lot of what we talked to him before he kind of laid the groundwork for this he and senator jim perry did and there's a lot of things that uh you know i, I would, i'm gonna go back and listen to this again we're gonna go back and kind of look through what all of this is uh to see if any of this is you know what has uh if, if any if any statements have changed on uh, the association side. Um, also tomorrow, we're going to be uh, joined by Tyler McComas, if time allows. Uh, McComas is out there in uh, Oklahoma covering the Sooners. And uh, as Ben just told you, the grant of rights turned down Oklahoma, Texas. They appear to be SEC bound. So we'll get into all of that in some more detail tomorrow with an expert guest. It's good to be back. Great to see Ben. And uh, thanks to Q Tucker for her time today. We'll catch you uh, tomorrow at 5, right here.